My message this morning is entitled, The Besetting Sin of the Church, and I'm going to read from a little excerpt of a sermon by Stephen, who preached this classic sermon in Acts chapter 7, and I want to pick this from verse 37 to 43, and it says, In their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as, as for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their hands. And then God turned them and gave them over to the worship of the hosts of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. This message was precipitated by a dream that Chris Berkland had slightly over a month ago. And he says, in the dream, he said, Pastor Young, I saw you speaking on the cleansing of the temple. And you, uh, when all of a sudden, he said, Jesus walked in with a whip in his hands. And he said, the temple became people and the whip became the word of truth that I was speaking. And then in the dream, he said, I was calling people to forsake their idols uh, from their hearts. And Chris said, it wasn't a message of fire and brimstone, uh, uh, but it was a message that was mixed with truth and mercy, and I was calling people to have sanctified desires. Watch this, sanctified desires. And then he said, he heard me say this in the sermon, that all of Zion is, uh, is in Jerusalem, but not all Jerusalem is in Zion, which uh, simply means God is separating his flock. It's a plea to the church that uh, we are to give ourselves fully to the Lord as we come to this hour of history. So my question to you today, do you want Jesus to come with a whip in his hands to overturn the tables, or do you want to fall on the rock and allow God to do something in our lives? Do we want to make Him comfortable in this house? Amen? If the answer is yes, then we need to remove every idol. We need to remove every uh, graven image that's in our hearts. I tell you this, my friends, you can pray all you like for revival. Nothing is going to happen unless we deal with these idols because our God is a jealous God with a capital J. Hallelujah. This house will become a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Uh, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 is a classic, man. It's essentially a recitation of Israel's history. And if you come to think of it, this sermon was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Because after this sermon, a great persecution arose against the church. It led to a, the, a massive church planting movement as believers were scattered all across the Mediterranean coasts and wherever they went, they planted New Testament colonies, right? It was also the beginning of the pricking of a young, erudite Jewish Pharisee called Saul, who later on became Paul, our beloved Apostle Paul. Amen. But the sermon uh, highlighted a perennial problem in Israel. And if you study the history, history of the Jewish people, you will discover tragedy upon tragedy, and all of that was predicated on one besetting sin that they succumbed to again and again. It was the sin of idolatry. And make no mistake about it, idolatry was the scourge of Israel. It was Israel's stumbling block. It was Israel's Achilles heel. It was Israel's chink in their armor. And it plagued her all through her history from her beginnings all the way to the captivity in Babylon where God was going to deal with this problem once and for all. So let me recite some of the history to you very briefly. The Hebrews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. During those 400 years, they intermingled with the Egyptians, learned of their ways. And Egypt, of course, was a land full of idols and Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. Many of these Egyptian gods were embraced by the Hebrews and the sin of idolatry seeped into a bloodline. This little fox they never dealt with eventually became a full-grown fox they could not deal with. Well, I tell you this, my friends, what you don't deal with when you can, can become something you cannot deal with even if you want to. 
When Israel came out of Egypt, they brought all these little idols with them in their journey and they kept them in their tents. And this is what Stephen was alluding to that while they saw the glory and the power of God manifested, they kept all these idols in their heart and refused to give them up. Then they came, of course, to Mount Sinai 50 days later. God appeared to them in a cloud of glory and smoke. God gave them the law. God gave them the covenants and commandments. They heard the voice of God, but they could not see the form of God because God knew they were an idolatrous people that if they saw God, they would make a graven image of Him. Two out of the Ten Commandments had to deal with idolatry. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. The second, you shall not make for yourself any idols or graven images. The last commandment you shall not covet is also idolatry. So three of the Ten Commandments are directly related with the sin of idolatry. And in spite of that, they continued all through those 40 years carrying those idols with them in their hearts. And while Moses, of course, was up receiving the commandments from God, the people persuaded Aaron to forge an image of a golden calf where they danced around naked in a drunken orgy. Then we come to Numbers 25, which I think is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. The stronghold in the Old Testament was a principality called Baal. And Baal worship was introduced to Israel in the wilderness through the deception of a false prophet called Balaam. Balaam was an enigma. He was a prophet of God, but he also practiced divination. And here's a warning, my friends, because there are many people in Cornerstone that are prophetic people. There are many people in Cornerstone that have the gift of prophecy, that have the gift of visions and dreams. Now you be careful, because if you have those things and gifts working in your life, and you expose yourself all the time to things like Harry Potter and things like witchcraft, a lot of uh, the movies today have witchcraft, incantation spells, and it produces a mixture on the inside of you, and the flow is not a pure flow. And I tell you this, we have to be careful. We have to separate from the things of the world. We have to make a decision. Lord, I'm not going to be tainted with the witchcraft that is in the world. Amen. And Balaam was hired by Balak to curse Israel. Four times he got up to curse Israel and four times out of his mouth came forth blessings instead. And here's a powerful principle I want to share with you that the blesser can reverse the curse of the curser, but the curser cannot reverse the blessings of the blesser. Hallelujah. When Balaam saw that God could not be bought just as he was, this is the error of Balaam, that God would not curse Israel, he advised, Israel, he advised Balak that the only way that Israel could be destroyed from, is not from without but from within. This was the doctrine of Balaam, right? Now listen, Israel was covered by the blood. All right, this is the blood covenant, which is why he could not curse them. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you this, as long as you stay under the blood, witchcraft doesn't work with Christians. Divination doesn't work with Christians. Just during the break, uh, Boaz, our deacon, sent me a, 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 a testimony of a lawyer many years ago in a law firm who saw one of his colleagues reading the Bible. He didn't like it. He was a practicing Satanist. So he put spells on this lawyer, but nothing happened to her. Then he increased the number of spells and still nothing happened. And so he went up to his higher level Satanist. He says, I have this problem. I'm trying to curse this person, but nothing happens. And the higher level Satanist says, is this person a Christian? Yes, she is. Does she read the Bible? Yes. Does she pray in tongues? She says, said, yes. He says, then your spells cannot work on her. Hallelujah. <laughs> then your spells cannot work on her. And then he said, I became a Satanist because I wanted power. But if Jesus is stronger than Satan, why would I want to worship Satan? And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Come on. Amen. Wonderful testimony. And so this is the, 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 the power of the blood over our lives. And Balaam understood that 
God could, uh, could uh, that Israel could only be destroyed if the blood covering was removed. And so he advised Balak, well, you just introduce immorality. Send the women of Moab, send the most beautiful women. And then make them worship Baal. And I tell you this, that was how Israel uh, lost the battle. They were seduced to sacrifice to Baal, uh, the god of Moab. On, on that day, Israel was joined to Baal appeal, and in doing so, chose a pagan deity over the true and living God. And the word for Baal, by the way, means husband. And the goal of the Spirit is to cause Israel to break their covenant with God and to marry and align with Him. And if you come to think of it, from that time onwards, God was married to a wife who at the same time was married to another principality that crushed his heart. Now I tell you, sometimes you just got to read the Old Testament. You know, some Christians are afraid to read the Old Testament. But read the Old Testament. Read Jeremiah. Read uh, Ezekiel. Read Lamentations. It will break your heart. I don't know how many times I've read this book with tears in my eyes. And I, I feel the pain that God had to go through again and again when he saw his people turn away from sin. And the book of Ezekiel says, when the Lord lamented and cried out literally and said, they have crushed my heart. They have crushed my heart. It's in the scriptures. Wow. And that's the goal of the Baal spirit is to get us divorced from God and to be joined to him. Fast forward, we cross into the land of promise. Represents a new season, a new day. But I tell you, my friends, if God is going to bring us into a new season and you don't deal with those bondages in your life, when you go into the new season, those bondages become stronger. And if, they, if that generation don't deal with this, then in the third generation, it becomes a stronghold. And for the sake of our next generation, for the sake of our children and our children's children, come on, let's deal with those little foxes that spoil the vine. Let's cry out to God for deliverance so that those besetting sin are not passed down to the next generation. Lamentations in fire, chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Our fathers sin and are no more. But we bear their iniquity. Sin doesn't pass down into the bloodline, but iniquities do. And iniquity is wickedness. And it can pass into our next generation and into the next generation. And we got to deal with these things, my friends. We got to deal with these things. It was not long after they entered into the land of Israel, they went back to their idols. They, the moment Joshua died, they just went back to the Ashtoreths and the Baals. And they didn't mess around when Joshua was around. And I tell you this, we need strong leadership in the church that will continually address the sin of idolatry. It was something in their blood. It was inherent. It was innate weakness that they, they had in them. And this worship of Baal went deeper and deeper. It spiraled out of control so that by the time King Solomon came uh, to the scene, man, he was probably the most enigmatic character in the Bible, the wisest man in the world that did the stupidest, stupidest thing. And this man introduced every form of idolatry into Israel, uh, the worship of Eshtoreth, uh, Milcom, the, the god of the Ammonites, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Molech, and all kinds of gods of Egypt. He introduced all of them, and Israel would never recover, would never recover from this, from this tragedy. tragedy. By the time they come to King Ahab, the prophets of Baal were sitting at the same table as the king and queen became a national religion. Baal worship was so steep that it infected the entire culture of Israel except 7,000 who refused to bow their knees to Baal. I'm telling you that in every generation, God will reserve 7,000 for himself who will not bow down to the spirit of this world. And maybe God is looking at your heart today right now and he says, I want to choose you. I want to choose you. You've not bowed your knees to Baal. You've not bowed your knees to Baal. My friends, I tell you this, we have to keep this thing pure. Amen. 
Finally, the climax came under the, a wicked king called Manasseh. And under his reign, all the restraints were moved. And they sank to the lowest depths of depravity. And the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC. They seized it and carried captive all the inhabitants of the city. And Judah went into exile 70 years, which, by the way, was the center of idolatry. God wants to deal with idolatry in them. He takes them to Babylon, which is the center of idolatry. And it's, it was as if God was saying, if this is really what you want, then go ahead and enjoy it. Take, enjoy, have all you want, all right? Have all you want. Ezekiel chapter 20, we read that even in Babylon, they kept worshiping the idols and God would send them prophet after prophet and they just would not listen. And finally, God threw up his hands in exasperation and said, enough of this. Enough of this. I'm going to cauterize this out of you. I am going to do things so forceful, so extreme that it will disorientate you. I, and you will struggle to see my kindness in all of this. But by the time I finish, I would have dealt with this thing of idolatry. And I can hear God saying, I've got time. I got, you can play with your idols 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I will wait. But Israel, let me tell you this, what you have determined in your heart to be like all the other nations in the world will never be. He said, he will never, I will never allow you to ever be like the nations of the world. I love Ezekiel chapter 20. Read this. He said, for as long as I live, says the Lord, with a surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and fury poured out, I will rule over you. Man, I love this about God. I love his loyalty to us. I love his passion. He's, he doesn't let us go. And while we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Hallelujah. He says, I don't care what you do. I'm going to rule over you, Israel. Woo. Amen. I'm going to rule over the church. Even if I'm going to rule over the church. And I love the, the fiery passion of God's heart. Hallelujah. Man, one year by one year went by. And next year went by after year. By the time seven years were um, God's people finally got to the thick skulls. Our idols ain't going to help us. At the end of those seven years, they got so sick and tired of the idolatry. They were ready to vomit it out of their mouth. And by the, so that by the time that Jesus came, Although Israel had many problems, idolatry was not one of them. God so cauterized, he so burned this out. The intensity, the duration of the captivity burned out something in their hearts once and for all. And I'll tell you this, Zephaniah 1.4 tells us God removed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. Come on, I'm telling you, we, revival is coming and we've got to prepare our hearts. But it has to start first by removing those idols. And God wants to cauterize our hearts from everything that is idolatry. Shandaraba. I'm telling you this, the Old Testament is given to us for principle, portrait and, and pattern. Which means that what Israel struggled in the Old Testament is a picture of what we are going to struggle in the New Testament. Israel's problem was with idolatry. It's symptomatic of humanity's bend towards uh, idols. And this is not just in the world. It's in the church today. Let's not be naive. There's a lot of idols in the church that God wants to deal with. And while it's inconceivable for any single one of you to bow down to a graven image, not a, I don't know I don't know that nobody in this room today will go back home and bow down to some strange God. But I tell you this, my friends, there are many idols that are in our hearts. They're more sophisticated. We are more sophisticated forms of worship today. Anything that takes preeminence in our hearts is an idol. It may be something, it may be someone, and anything that we cannot give up, if God says to give up, becomes an idol because it becomes, it has preeminence over God in our lives. 
My friends, listen to this statement very carefully one more time. If God were to ask you to give up something and you say, I cannot give it up, then it becomes an idol in your life. I don't care what it is. If you can't give it up, then it is an idol in your life. And in a way, you're an idolater. And so I'm going to go through some of the, the, the idols, the big three idols that are in the Bible. And I want to, I, I, the Lord spoke to my heart very uh, clearly from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 2 to 4. I want to read this to you. Watch this, please. For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents. And then Paul introduces us to the four aunties, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I saw it right there. That Paul says in the last days there would be three idols that we would love more than God himself. We would love the idol of self, we would love the idol of money, and we would love the idol of pleasure. So let me just talk about these three things for a few moments. Let's talk about the idol of self. Self is the biggest idol in our lives. In fact, it's the, big, it's, it's, it, it's, it's the biggest struggle in my life. It's self. It's self. Sometimes our struggle is, you know, we, we, we know that there are principalities and powers and battles and things like that. But I tell you, the biggest battle of all is to crucify the old man. Charles Spurgeon said that man is such an idolater that if he does not idolize anything else, he will idolize and bow down to himself. Wow. Self is where all sin originates. The Bible refers to self as the old man, old nature. I heard a story one time of a lecturer lecturing in a, and he said that there's no more new revelation. Everything ended when the Bible came and a young man challenged him, stood up and challenged him. He said, but I, get, I have new revelation. They all, the, the lecturer said, I'm sorry, there's no more new, old, new revelation. He said, yeah, I have new revelation and I know who is the, you know, when two thieves died before with Jesus at the cross on the left and on the right. He says, I know one of them. I know his identity. And the lecturer says, no, it's not in the Bible. You can't know his identity. He says, I know by revelation. And the lecturer says, who is the, this man? He says, this is Paul's father. He said, how do you know that? He says, Paul said, my old man was crucified with him. <laughs> There's a difference between sin and self. All right, sin is a product of self. And no matter how hard you try and deal with sin, it's pointless until you deal with the self, which is the sin factory. Now, the blood of Jesus deals with our sins. Sin can only come out by one way, by the way of the mouth. All right, you got to confess your sins. That's how it comes out. And the blood of Jesus is faithful to forgive your sins. All right, but it's the cross that deals with our sinfulness. So if we stumble into sin, we confess them with, uh, to the Lord. And He is always faithful and always just to forgive us and cleanse us by the blood. In other words, He removes and blots out the record of our sin. But I tell you this, the blood cannot change your nature. Only the cross can deal with that old man. I wish that sometimes praying for people, I can cast out that old nature. It doesn't happen. It has to be crucified. And you can't crucify yourself. You've got to allow Holy Spirit to do the work. And oftentimes He does the work through people. Hallelujah. Thank God for the body of Christ. Amen. The I nature is what Jesus came to break. He did not die on the cross just to forgive your sins. He came to shut the sin factory. Come on. Amen. You know, David declared, Lord, you love truth in inward parts. It's in the secret parts that he wants us to be uh, exposed to truth. And he doesn't want us to live in denial. That's why I weigh myself every day. <laughs> I don't want to be in denial, amen. 
you know, I have one of these weighing machines that when I step on it, doesn't show you your weight. It actually, it actually, it's voice active. It tells you your weight. So uh, the first time I tried it, I went on the weighing machine that says, one at a time, please. <laughs> hey, my friends, if God can destroy the Canaanites, He can destroy your cellulites. Amen? Yeah. You know, during the COVID, I, uh, I wanted to apply to a slimming center. And they said, will you accept cookies? I said, what kind of a slimming center is this? That they asked you... I think that that's why the hypergrace message is so flawed. So because it's rooted in denial, people are quick to confess, "I'm the righteousness of God," and they do it as a defense mechanism because they don't want to see the real eye. And I tell you, this change only happens when you see how ugly you are. It only happens when you realize my heart is dark and black and full of sin and, 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 and iniquity. And that's the only way for us to, to be healed is when we come out of denial, which is the longest, city, longest river in the world. Denial. Self basically says, I want to do my own will. I want to live my life as I please. I tell you, my biggest enemy is myself. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is really serious stuff. Your, your, your salvation can actually be negated and invalidated by constant sinful, negative, and unrepentant behavior. Don't believe that one, you're once saved, always saved. All right? that, that doctrine does not come from the Bible. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because not everyone wants to do the will of the Father. So doing the will of the Father is the deciding factor, not only in our appraisal, but in matters of salvation. The second idol is the idol of money. Ouch. This is Mammon. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus warned us. He said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one or love the other, or else he will love or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Interestingly, Jesus narrows down the mastery of a man's life to two things. It's either God or Mammon. One of them is your master. It's either God or it's Mammon, but you can't have both. You'll love one and hate the other. And you've got to decide once and for all, who are you going to serve? When I came into full-time ministry 31 years ago, the, the big issue for me was finances. I said to the Lord, if, you if I come into the ministry, who's going to support me? I was going to come into an $800 a month salary. My rental, and in those days, you couldn't even pay my rent. I had a house. I sold my house. It was a, I, was, I was at the age of 30. I had a two-and-a-half-story landed property. I was doing well. I had a car, wife, two, two kids, and life was hunky-dory. And the Lord says, I want you to quit your job and come to full time. I said, Lord, if you can show me, you can provide for me, I'll quit my job. He said, you come to quit, you quit your job, then I'll show you I can provide for you. It's, it's called faith. It's spelled R-I-S-K. Amen. And I tell you this, one of the prayers he told me to pray. He said, I want you to pray this prayer in Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, there's a prayer. It says, Lord, don't make me rich, lest I forget you and profane your name. And don't make me poor, lest I steal and profane your name. Give me neither riches nor no, no poverty. He said, will you pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart? For three days, I struggled. I said, I can't pray this prayer. Finally, at the end of the three days, I, I was ready. And I said, I'm willing to pray this prayer. And finally, I prayed the prayer. And I'm telling you, God has been faithful to his word. I've never been rich. <laughs> but I've never been poor either. I've got, I have enough. Till the day I die, I know God will provide for me. Amen. That's his promise to me. He said, if I call you, I'll pay the bills. 
If I call you, I'll pay the bills. I'll tell you this, God is a faithful God. I don't regret one moment in the life he has chosen for me. Amen. So we've got to deal with this issue of money once and for all. Mammon is the spirit that energizes money and wealth. And nowhere in the world is mammon more pronounced than in Singapore. Man, we are intoxicated with pleasure and wealth and money. We're like the Laodicean church. You know, we think we are rich and wealthy and in need of nothing, but we are wretched, poor, pitiable, naked and blind. And the Lord says, if you're hot, I have a message for you. If you're cold, I have a message for you. But if I've got nothing to say to the ones who are lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And you know, covetousness is the sin of idolatry. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. Nobody could see it. They always thought, wow, this guy is so on fire. Man in his heart, he had all these idols. Only Jesus could see it. He says, I see all the idols. If you want to follow me, Sell all you have, give this, those, renounce those idols and come and I'll give you the adventure of your lifetime, what you've been seeking for all your life. I'll show you what it is. So God wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. My friends, please, God is not a killjoy. Do you understand? Hello. He's not a killjoy. He, he wants you to have a nice car. He does. He wants you to have a nice house. He, he's not against these things as long as those things don't have you. Amen? If those things don't have you, you can have them. But the moment they become a, the preeminent thing in your life, he's going to put a finger and says, oh, you watch this, you watch that. It's become an idol in your life and then you've got to deal with the problem. But as long as your heart is not after things, amen, our heart must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you this, my friends. I, God is not a killjoy. It's been wonderful. 31 years full-time ministry, not a single complaint. Not a sing I've enjoyed every moment of it. Now, obviously, there were ups and downs. There were, God has got some dear children. He's got some weird ones too. Hallelujah. It's part of the ministry. Amen. Suffering is part of the... If I, didn't, if I don't want to suffer, I would go and sell ice cream. Amen. But it's part of the ministry. Amen. But it's been a wonderful privilege serving God. I don't know of anything else I want to do in my life. If I could live my life all over again, if I was 30 years, again, uh, 30 years old again, I would do the same thing. So God wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. No doubts about that. As long as those things that He gives us don't steal our hearts away from Him. So you can rest easy. I'm not asking you to sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. Jesus. <laughs> okay, the third thing is the idol of pleasure. This is compromise in the world. And this is an idol that's freely loved by Christians. It's the spirit of the world and it, it's all around us and we are intoxicated with it. The world is very glamorous. It's very alluring, right? Pulls on our eyes, pulls on our flesh. It's the lust, the eyes, lust of the flesh. And it makes you think this, this is what life is all about. The Apostle John says, if you love this world and the things of the world, the love of the Father cannot be in you. It's one or the other. You've got to choose. And this love of pleasure is manifested in many of the things that we possess. And watch this. Please, I, I, I don't want you to be offended, all right? Because I know sometimes people do get offended when I put my finger on their, their sacred cows. If you are spending more time on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube than with Jesus, I think you need to delete your account. Do I have any problems with Facebook? No, I have a Facebook account. But I can tell you this, if the Lord tells me tomorrow, today, delete it, straight away I'll delete it, and I've got no problems. I don't miss it. It's not an idol in my life. If you spend more time watching movies than with Jesus, maybe you should think about canceling your subscription on your, or your streaming subscriptions or make changes in your life. 
If you're enjoying your wines and spirits, interestingly, they're called spirits. More than Jesus, maybe it's become an idol to you. If the Lord says, I want you to stop drinking for the next six months and you say, I can't, it's an idol in your life. Whatever you cannot give up becomes an idol. Whatever you cannot surrender to God, if He says so, becomes uh, idolatry in your life. Anything that you exalt above Jesus becomes an idol. If you enjoy being at the gym more than you enjoy being with Jesus, could be an idol, possibly. I've been avoiding the gym, by the way. I'm on a fitness protection program. <laughs> That's a bad joke. Oh, by the way, how many of you like? Uh, how many of you met our new uh, Korean pastor in Cornerstone? <laughs> Have you read our Gundam style, Opa, <laughs> Pastor Kevin? So cool with his curls. Maybe I should curl my hair too. Or maybe you should ask Pastor Lit to curl whatever hair he's got. <laughs> we always tease him. The fourth one, I, I just added one free of charge. You don't have to pay for this. It's the idol of our celebrities. You know, we Christians love our, love our celebrities. We run all over the world to follow our celebrity preachers. We swoon over them. We fawn over them. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I believe in honoring uh, our leaders, respecting leaders who labor am amongst us. But often people step across the line into idolatry. I think President Trump became an idol to many evangelical Christians in America. But when Christians stop reading the Bible and read only what the man of God says, that's an idolatry right there. When you blindly follow the celebrity preacher without even asking, is this really what the Word of God says? Then you might be in bigger trouble than you might know. There's nothing wrong when we seek to emulate our good leader, but for goodness sake, stop idolizing them. Amen? Stop idolizing them. There's such a pervasive celebrity culture in Christianity today. And I pray in Jesus' name that there'll be no celebrity preachers here in Cornerstone. Amen. The more you try to, cel to, to cel celebrate me, the more I'll be a pain in your neck. <laughs> I'll make you hate me. <laughs> you know, the New Testament was not built on celebrity preachers. They were built on apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Amen. There is a also an idol of celebrity worship. Many believers flock to concerts featuring celebrity worship leaders. They'll pay a hundred bucks just to get into some entertainment arena, but they wouldn't get down on their knees to worship Jesus in their own private privacy. They wouldn't, but they'll pay a hundred bucks to go and listen to some celebrity worship leader. One time the Lord was very disappointed with me many years ago. We just started Cornerstone and I was finding my way. I was, I, I was, I was visionless. And I heard about a man called Bill Hybels talking about the seeker-friendly churches. So I flew 10,000 miles to Chicago to listen to this man. And the Lord was so upset with me and offended. And I'm just going to try and paraphrase what he said to me. He said, you will fly 10,000 miles to listen to a man give you a vision, but you won't get down on your knees to hear what I've got to say to you. Wow. I had to repent of that. I'm telling you this. I had to repent of that. And many of us are like this. We follow all these celebrity preachers, but we won't get down on our knees and say, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do in my life? So we've allowed the spirit of this world to intermingle with, you know, our worship. I tell you this, my friends, God doesn't care if you can sing or not. Or not. I know some of you, you sing and the cats even run away. 
But there's auto-tune in heaven. Hallelujah. He loves it when you sing to Him. Amen. The only condition He puts on your singing is that you do it in spirit and truth. So we don't have to have all these, you know, I, I know this is fancy and all these things, but in the early church, in the early days, in a hundred years ago, in the revival, they had no musical instruments. They sang a cappella with hymnals and God's glory was manifested. How is God going to deal with this scourge of idolatry? In Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus, great revival, two years there. And the people were so convicted of their sins that they, they brought out all the idols and magic books and burned them, the witch books on witchcraft, in the sight of all. This is Acts chapter 19, verse 19. Total amount, 50,000 pieces of silver. That's about 7 million in our currency today. They burn everything. And that's how you deal with the idols. You've got to take them and burn them spiritually. The only way to deal with the idols, you must forsake them and burn them. And this is what Isaiah chapter 4 and 4 verses, and I close with this, that the Lord will wash away all the filth of the daughters of Zion and purge the blood. The only way to purge your blood in her, from her midst is by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. The only way that God is going to deal with idolatry is He's going to send to us two things. The spirit of burning, which is the fire of God, and the spirit of judgment. I tell you this, these are like two surgical instruments that is going to cut out a tumor from the church. Hallelujah. And when that happens, verse 5 says, And then God will create over every dwelling place of Zion and over assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of the flaming fire by night. And over all the glory, there will be a covering. This is a description of revival. This is a description of revival that is coming. But it only can come after we've allowed the spirit of judgment and the spirit of fire to come. And this is what I want to close with today. Before we close the service, I'm going to ask you to invite today in your life. To invite the spirit of fire. To invite the spirit of judgment and say, God, will you judge every idol in my life? Will you judge my heart, Lord? Show me what is in my life that needs to be surrendered. I tell you, God will pinpoint with, with laser-like accuracy the things in your life that's still, that still idols in your life. He will show you things in your life that are idols. Now, I know I, the Lord has blessed me with a wonderful car. I prayed about this before I bought this and I know the Holy Spirit very clearly said, I'm going to give this to you as a gift. And I tell you, it's not an idol because I can give it up tomorrow. I can sell it tomorrow. It makes no difference to me. And that's what the honest truth. But while I have it, I can enjoy it. Hallelujah. But it's not an idol. It's not an idol in my life. And so uh, the things in my life, we got to make sure that if it's not an idol, God will let you bless, enjoy it. But if it becomes an idol, I promise you, He'll put His finger on it. And say, now I want you to lay this down at the altar. And the most painful story in the Bible, I think, when Abraham loved his son more than he loved God, I didn't know whether there came a point where he loved Isaac more than he loved God. Isaac was the apple of his eye. And the Lord says, it's time to put Isaac at the altar. And sometimes we, we struggle with these things. I know. I know we struggle in our hearts. There, it, it, We're pulled in many different directions. But if you will allow the Holy Spirit to do that, the end result is, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom is the goal. Amen. He wants you to be free. Hallelujah. Free to worship. Free to love. Free to praise. You can walk into the presence of God with a clear conscience. Let's all stand in the presence of God. Shandarabha, handarabha. 
You know, last night I went back home and I said, Lord, I, I don't know if, I don't know how people will perceive this message. And uh, I, I came across this on Facebook. And, um, and it was that, like the Lord saying, you're on the right track. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, if you love anything better than God, you are idolaters. If there's anything that you would not give up for God, it is an idol. If there's anything that you would not, that you seek with greater fervor than you seek the glory of God, that is an idol. For con and conversion means a turning away from every idol. I read this yesterday and I thought to myself, did Charles Spurgeon take my message? <laughs> Just kidding. I took his message maybe. But I tell you this, my friends, God wants you to lay down every idol. Remember the vision at the start. He wants to come with the whip, the word of truth mixed with mercy and remove every idol in our hearts. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Will you just close your eyes for a few moments? Everybody just pray in tongues. Hallelujah. Come on, man, my friends. Hallelujah. We need to press in for more of God. There's so much prayer that's going on. I know that we are in pre-revival days and I can tell you this, my friends, there's a lot of prayer meetings going on in Cornerstone day and night. There are a lot of prayer meetings. There are a lot of prayer groups. Every night I pray with two men and we cry out to God for revival. I believe we're at the curse of a mighty move of God. But all of that will mean nothing if we don't deal with the idol that are in our hearts. Oh God, do something in our hearts today, Lord. I invite, Lord, the spirit of fire, the spirit of burning and the spirit of judgment to come into this house, into the hearts of every believer here, Lord. I pray that you will overturn the tables, Lord, of the money changes in their hearts. You will overturn the tables. You will remove and drive out every idol in Jesus' name for we welcome your discipline. We welcome your chastisement. We welcome the rod, Lord. Change us, Lord. Those you love, you chastise. Those you love, you discipline, Lord. You do not leave us uh, as, as orphans. Hallelujah. Shakar. You treat us as sons. Oh, Rabba Shanda Rabba. Come on, my friends. Whatever I know right now, while I'm speaking, God is revealing things to your heart. And whatever it might be, will you just be willing to say, God, will you just remove this? idol for my life. Give me the grace. Lord, I, I don't know if I can let it go, but I'm willing to be made willing. Shandaraba. I am willing, Lord, to be made willing. Oh, give me the grace. I tell you this for every trial. For every trial, there is a grace. Hallelujah. For every trial, there is a grace. Brother Bailey shared with me on many occasions how the Lord had to deal with him. He said, the Lord said, would you give this up? Yes, Lord. Will you give that up? Yes, Lord. He said, some were easy, some were difficult. And then finally, the Lord says, will you give up your wife? And he struggled. And, of, and three days later, he was in a meeting. The power of God was on him. He went up to the altar call. He was slain in the spirit. He was on the floor. He couldn't move. The Spirit of God says, who loves your wife? Me or more? You or me? He said, you, Lord. Who has the power to take care of her? You or me? He said, you, Lord. Then why don't you give her to me? And he rolled this burden. He said, Lord, I, I surrender my wife to you. And he said, two days later in his room, two days later, he was in his, his study room. He said, the vision, he, always, he had an open vision. And the Spirit of God carried him. He said, and he told me this story so many times because I kept on asking Pastor Bailey, will you tell me that story again? And he said, the Spirit brought him back 2,000 years and he saw the cross and he said, I was in Christ 
and I was crucified with Christ. That spirit, that, that scripture came, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I that live but Christ. He said, I was crucified with Christ. I saw the crowds mocking Jesus, but he said, I could feel his heart. There was no animosity, no angst in his heart towards them, only compassion and love. And then he said, the vision ceased and he went into the temple and he saw the veil rent from top to bottom. And the Lord says, when you have allowed me to crucify you, I will bring you to the veil. Hallelujah. And I will show you things you've never seen before. My friends, the clarity in which we see God face to face all depends on one thing, the idols in our hearts. The reason Moses had a face-to-face -face encounter with God was there was no idol in his heart. There was no idolatry in his heart. And the reason God would not reveal his face to the children of Israel, although they heard his voice, was because of idolatry. And I think to the degree that we allow God to deal with these idols in our lives, to that same degree, we are going to see His glory correspondingly. So Lord, I, I just pray right now that every idol will be cast to the ground, Lord. That there'll be nothing in our lives that we will love more than Jesus. Nothing in our lives that will have more preeminence than Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'll say, if we call Him Lord, Lord, if we call Him King, then He must rule over our lives. And we thank You and we, we, say, we say to You, Lord Jesus, rule over us, Lord. Rule over us, rule over our hearts, rule over our lives. We honour You and we bless You. And now the blessing of God the Father, the blessing of God the Son, and the blessing of God the Holy Spirit be with You and abide with You now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.